MechCast, Thursday, January 16th, 2014. Hey, Mac Geeks, it's time for your MechCast, the show for Mac Geeks by Mac Geeks. I'm Adam, and this is a show where we discuss all things Macintosh. How you doing? Welcome back to the MacCast. Glad to be back here with you. It's been really a slow, slow news month. This typically happens at the beginning of the year, and even more so now that Apple sort of does its... <laughs> excuse the disgustingness of this term, but it's the, the best way I can describe it. They do their product puking at the end of the year now, where basically they just unload on us, unleash on us all of their product lineup. Um, well, they did it this year, and they've been slowly easing into it over the last couple of years. And then we end up with this lull at the beginning of the year, waiting to see what Apple's going to do next. We've got a few rumors and things like that floating around out there, um, but just not a whole lot happening. So consequently, I've just got a couple news stories for you this week, and then I invited an old friend of the MacCast, somebody we haven't had on in a while, Ara Derderian, uh, to come in and give us an update on Mac home theater stuff. Uh, several of you have You've been emailing me to ask if we could update that. And uh, I think I mentioned, and you probably know, I've started up a little home theater side project of myself, or for myself, I've been converting a lot of my DVD content into digital format and putting it into iTunes and Plex and playing around with how I'm going to sort of set up a system on my home network so that I can have access to all of my DVD content without having to go get those physical little plastic round thingies, which makes it a little bit inconvenient. So I wanted to get some opinions from Ara and see if he'd updated anything in his home theater setup. And also we had CES in the meantime as well, and there was a lot of 4K TV stuff. So I wanted to get Ara's opinion on that also. So I invited him on. We're going to take a listen and uh, talk with him for a little bit. But before we get into all of that, I do want to take a quick moment and thank one of my show sponsors, actually a new sponsor here on the MacCast, SaneBox. And I had been hearing a lot about SaneBox from a few people, and I never really took it seriously. Um, I was kind of, you know, not really sure about SaneBox and whether or not it would fit into sort of the things that I do. And then my friend David Sparks, who wrote his book, Email, for his Mac Sparky Field Guides, he raved about SaneBox in his book. So I got his book when it came out last year, and I signed up for a trial of SaneBox. I said, you know, I should probably try this out. And after using it for about a week, I was hooked. I was so happy that I had taken the time to check out SaneBox, and I am super happy now that they're a sponsor because I think the service is absolutely great. And what it is is we all get a ton of email, right? And you spend all this time prioritizing, organizing it, managing it, trying to figure out what you're going to pay attention to, what you can maybe put off for later. All of that stuff takes up time, and it can be a hassle, and that's where SaneBox comes in. It's like this little elf, this little personal assistant in the background, and it automatically cleans up your inbox by moving less important emails out of the way and leaving the really important stuff in your main inbox so you can focus on what you need there and then you can get to that other stuff later. You can go get it in another location when you're ready to sort of deal with it. It basically gives you an 
it gives you inbox, what I'm going to call inbox less. We've heard of inbox zero. This is inbox less, and it can help you get to inbox zero for those of you who are into that. And I like to have uh, my inbox cleaned out. I don't like a lot of junk in there. So it was just like perfect for me because it just whisks all of that away and lets me focus on the priority stuff. And best of all, it works everywhere on any email provider, whatever client you're using, whatever device you're using. It's like magic. You just tell it about your email accounts. And what it does is it sets up these additional mailboxes that work with your inbox. And then it watches your email and what more specifically, it watches what you do with them and then makes a profile of what's important to you. So it looks at things like which emails do you open? How quickly do you open them? How quickly do you respond to things? How often are you opening emails from specific people? And then it prioritizes that stuff and shuffles off that less important stuff. And it does this without ever looking at the content. It just looks at the headers and it can move the less important messages out of your inbox into these sane boxes. And they have some default ones and you can set up custom ones, but they have like sane bulk, sane news, and sane later. Um, Sane bulk would be like order receipts and things like that automatically flow into that. Sane news is all the news lists that you you know, sign up for or subscribe to or get put on. And that all gets shuffled off. And training it is really, really easy as well. I was worried it was going to take a bunch of time. But really, if it makes a mistake or if you want to prioritize something into a specific sane box, you literally just move the message and it's watching what you're doing. And then it takes note of that and it just automatically filters that into its profiling. And it's really cool. It also has a ton of other features, too many to go into. Things like one-click unsubscriber. You can snooze emails. So if you know I want to get back to that in a week, you can send it off and it will come back in a week, show back up in your in your inbox, and then you can deal with it. You can save off attachments into your cloud storage services like Dropbox. So you can have all your attachments automatically go into Dropbox. Really cool stuff. And I'm, you can try it Because you're a MacCast listener, you can try it free and get a $10 credit. Just go to SaneBox.com, S-A-N-E, Box.com, slash MacCast, and you'll get all the details, and you can sign up. And uh, so happy to have SaneBox as a new sponsor of the MacCast, and we really appreciate their support. I have just a couple quick news items, as I mentioned. Apple finally launched the iPhone on China Mobile. That actually happened, well, I'm recording this on Thursday U.S., but it's already Friday in China, and they launched Friday, January 17th. It had been rumored that this was going to happen for years and years. Well, it's now finally official. Both the iPhone 5S and 5C are available on China Mobile. That's China's largest mobile carrier. Uh, reports of, I think, one and a half million iPhones being shipped out there to go on sale. Tim Cook and the China Mobile, China Mobile chairman were on hand at a China, China Mobile store for the launch, and Tim Cook was autographing iPhones for some of the lucky new iPhone owners. And he was specifically asked by reporters if Apple was working on a new larger screen iPhone. I bet you can guess how that went. He, of course, declined to comment, only saying that Apple has great things it is working on. And they that's like their canned answer. They're always working on great stuff, right? So anyway, successful launch on China Mobile, and we'll have to see how it actually sells in the country. But by all accounts, it's looking to be uh, a lot of phones, just by the sheer volume, numbers of people in China, and number of mobile subscribers that China Mobile has. Even Apple gets a tiny fraction of those 
customers to buy iPhones, they're going to uh, significantly increase the their unit numbers. And then the other story this week is Apple seeded the second beta of OS X Mavericks out to developers. Once again, Apple is asking developers to focus on mail. A uh, common complaint among OS X Mavericks users, many of you have even emailed me to let me know that uh, you're not too happy with OS X Mail. And there's some uh, reports of people looking at alternative clients. Actually, if you are using an alternative client that you really like, shoot us an email, a voicemail, or or, uh, just a comment on what you're using and why you like it. Um, But a lot of people complained about that in OS X Mavericks. Apple has, in these last couple builds, two developers been asking them to to look at mail and I guess, so they're obviously doing a lot of work in that area. It remains to be seen if things are going to be improved or get better. I think Gmail was one of the big issues there. I haven't upgraded on my main machine, so I haven't experienced any troubles and I've heard some people had no troubles at all. So I don't know if it's specifically how you set up your mail that makes a difference, but uh, hopefully we've got some fixed fixes coming. And then Apple also asked developers to focus on messages, virtual private networking features, and the graphics drivers, and also voiceover for this latest build. And if you're a developer, um, you can get that update through the uh, developer center. But that was pretty much it. Not uh, Like I said, not a whole lot happening in Apple and Mac news. So we turn to a friend of the Mac cast, Ara Durdurian from the HDTV podcast and caught up with him to ask what's going on with his Mac home theater setup. Hey, Ara, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> it seems like every couple of years we, we do this and we probably should do it more frequently. But, uh, you know, time and schedules, I think it gets gets a little crazy. But it seems like a good time to kind of check back in with you on this uh, Mac home theater stuff. See what you're see where you're at. See what's changed. What's remained the same. All those sorts of things. Yeah, you know, and, and I think part of the reason why there was a long lag in us getting back together is there really hasn't been a whole heck of a lot going on with Apple. There's been tons of rumors, but nothing has really come out yet. Right, yeah, we're kind of, <laughs> i.e. we're waiting on that Apple TV product, right? Yeah, and, you know, my thoughts on that is it's going to have to be one heck of a TV to get me to spend, you know, because Apple usually demands a premium, and I'm willing to pay it because it's a superior product in most cases. But in the case of a TV, you know, I've got a Panasonic Plasma that's just pretty fantastic. I don't know what Apple can do uh, to make it better, at least in the way of the picture quality, perhaps maybe in the user interface. But would that be enough to make us go out and buy TVs? I don't know. Well, yeah, and apparently now it would have to be a 4K set, right? Oh, yeah, as of CES, everything's <laughs> going 4K, so. And I don't think, I don't know, I don't think Apple's ready to do that. So, that, I mean, that's actually a good place to start, uh, because I'd love to get your take on the whole Apple television. I don't think I've ever asked you, you know, Apple doing an actual television set, or I'm of the opinion, and a lot of people I know are of the opinion, that they should just stick with the set-top box thing. That that seems like a more a better way to go to get Apple devices on more sets, right? I completely agree. And, and I believe even if they do an Apple TV, they will continue with a set-top box because there's so many million televisions out there that are not Apple right now. And the set-top box would be their way into your living room. Um, do you own an Apple TV? I do. I have, but I only have a two. I haven't upgraded to a uh, to an Apple TV three yet. 
Well, I, I've got both a two and a three, and the only one I have a three on is in my projector room because I've got a very big screen. Otherwise, you know, it's not that big of a difference. Uh, 720p will upconvert uh, nicely on a 1080p TV, especially if you're looking at like a 50-inch TV. Mm-hmm. You're not going to notice a difference. But when you get into projector or some of the really large format televisions, then it's worth definitely getting a, an Apple TV 3. That's interesting to hear you say because, I mean, I don't even have, I think, the only sets I have are 720p sets. I don't even have a 1080p set. And my, my main living room set still has an Apple TV one connected oh, to yeah. it. And it's a Sony, it's a Sony Vega 32 inch tube TV. It's a 480, you know, 480i. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I remember. So, you know, that's interesting. Uh, Cause a lot of the uh, people I talk to, they're getting like the latest TVs. And I keep forgetting there's a huge majority of the people out there who've got probably televisions that don't even accept um, HDMI inputs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, my my living room set doesn't. And the only reason I haven't swapped it out really is because I just don't relish moving the 200-pound beast. <laughs> you know, it's like I got to get a friend over here to help me move it so and I don't then, kill myself. Right, and then I just left mine on the curb, and it just magically disappeared. I put a sign on it. It said, free to a good home, remote, and television work when I got rid of my um, tube TV. Now, it was 4 by 3 right. At least that one's a 16 by 9 And uh, sure enough, it was probably gone within an hour. Yeah, mine's a 4 by 3 too. It has oh, a, it it has, it has oh. a 16 by 9 mode. And so, and it has the, you know, the red, green, blue, um, component cable. Yeah. So that's why it works with the, uh, with the Apple TV. It was one you of the want, few sets right. that would, but it's like that simulated, you know, weird stuff, but you know, it get, it gets me by and I can watch yeah. stuff on it. And I think that's kind of the thing with this whole set top box versus Apple doing a television is frankly, televisions, just people don't replace them that frequently. I think I'm more in the norm then, you know, because I'm not a really big home theater guy, I think it's kind of very similar to um, even computer users. Like, you and I as Mac fans probably always are, you know, upgrading more frequently. But a lot of my friends, you know, they have really old Macs even that they don't really update until something goes wrong or it just frankly doesn't work anymore. Yeah, I completely agree. In fact, my plasma that I was talking about, I may change that out for a 4K TV simply because I think it's something for the podcast that I need to do. Uh, but other than that, it's a fantastic picture. And whoever I end up selling it to uh, or giving it to, if it's like a family member or something, is going to get a, a really nice television that still will have many years of, of use on it. You know, TVs are not meant to be replaced uh, in a few years. They're, they're meant to last at least 10 years. Yeah, and that's why the idea of Apple continuing the Apple TV as just a box that connects on a standard connector, I mean, and at the price point, that's something that people would swap out and replace. So, you know, as people get 4K TVs, now I can go get a 4K version of my Apple TV. And to have it integrated into the set, you're kind of locked in, right? It's It's like that classic component stereo versus you know, an all-in-one kind of system. Yeah, and again, I think the only thing Apple can do is in the way of the user interface to help differentiate themselves. Even You know, because some of those TVs at uh, CES, they have, um, I, I, I'm going to call it similar technology to a, um, a retina display. They have a, mm-hmm. a bunch of tiny sub-pixels. But, uh, y- you know, what are they going to do to make the TV better than some of these other TVs? And I think, as you said, if they were, uh, you know, the big thing on the set-top box, I-, I think that'll be the home run, knock it out of the park, is if they would open up the 
um, the uh, set-top box development so that other people can develop apps for it, kind of like the iPhone. Yeah, yeah, I think that's going to be the killer thing. We were actually talking about that on the um, TUA, the unofficial Apple weblog uh, mm-hmm. talk cast last night, because we got into the whole discussion about these Bluetooth uh, iOS game controllers you know, that are coming out that you kind of wrap around your iPhone for doing gameplay. Um, and Apple made a big deal about that API. And I really think long-term that API being in iOS is all about um, them eventually opening up at least the Apple TV for games. If they don't do anything else, they really should open it up for games because you get a Bluetooth controller and some really killer game titles on there that people could buy. And you have a, a really great platform that I think would... Um, <laughs> put the herd on probably some of the console manufacturers even more than they're they're already getting right because you know obviously not for the serious gamer but no. for the casual gamer like uh, like in my family we, we've got an xbox uh-huh. uh, that doesn't get turned on but the apple tvs always gets turned on and the kids play uh, this stupid game candy crush i don't even probably yep. talked about it no i haven't and, i haven't uh, talked about it too much on the Maccast, but my, uh, my wife okay. plays that like and it, can you imagine now doing that on the tv it'd be kind of fun at least i can get the kids to look up from their um from their phones <laughs> to this big screen <laughs> i tell you i don't know what it's like in your house but yeah. My kids sometimes will sit there if they're not interested in what we're watching, but they still want to be kind of with the family. They'll sit there on their phone and <laughs> look over the edge of the phone so they can have the TV and the phone in the same eye line. So yeah. It's, yeah. it's kind of, but anyway, um, so the other thing I was thinking is, you know, like there's a CW uh, app and I, I at some point, you know, I think there's an ABC app, although I can't get it because my I use DirecTV and that's not uh, it doesn't allow you to use it with DirecTV. <sighs> Drives you nuts. But wouldn't it be cool if now that's how you get your content? So instead of using a tuner, you just go to the ABC app or you go to the CBS app and the search is all integrated so you can just watch what you want. You wouldn't even have to do a DVR any longer. It would just be all in the cloud. Right. Yeah, because they've already got it up there. Exactly. Because when you don't have to record anything. Uh, For instance, one of the things that we do here, some of the television shows, we don't necessarily record. We will buy a season pass. Pretty much anything that the family likes that's on USA Network, we buy a season pass to because one, um, USA has these graphics that come up on the screen that are so intrusive and they bother us. Those little lower third things, I hate those things. I hate them and a lot of times you miss a lot of stuff and so we buy the season pass and you don't have to download it. You just stream it and the streaming quality is actually pretty darn good and you get 5.1 audio and and I think I I may have told you on a previous Madcast, I took my... um, Apple TV on vacation with me if we continued to watch the show on vacation. So it's a really great platform. Yeah. Yeah. And I say lower thirds. It's really their lower like halves now. I, I, they, they keep getting bigger and bigger. I, I know. And um, uh, yeah, and then they, they'll have their USA logo and, and it just it, it just detracts from it. And if you were to watch some of those shows, uh, you know, just do me a favor. Just rent one. And watch it, and you'll say, wow, that's a completely different experience because there's nothing to interfere with it. And I know it's only when you come into a, come out of a commercial break, but still it's right. pretty irritating. Yeah, it's annoying. And then you got the commercials anyway, so, yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I get uh, HBO content, like Game of Thrones on Season Pass, and I'm waiting for that to come out. It's not coming out until February. Yeah, that's, that's something that's so we, talk about, we talk about on our podcast, too, that... 
if uh, HBO was smart, they would have that thing released the next day, kind of like some of the regular television shows, because it's the number one pirated television show. <laughs> and it, believe it or not, it's pirated more than it's actually watched legally. Yeah, I've, I've, I've read that. But I don't think it's hurting them because... You know, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not pirating it. I think it's great, and I think even the people who pirate it probably once it's available for sale, I bet you there's a large percentage. It'd be interesting to know how many actually buy it after it goes on sale. So they're just picking it up, pirating, knowing that hey, I'm going to buy it eventually. Just HBO won't sell it to me, and I'm just I'm clamoring to watch the content. I think there's a lot of people that fall in that category. They just get frustrated that they don't even have a purchase option. Oh, I, I agree with that. And um, But there are still some that don't, once they've watched it, they won't pay for it. So they, they are leaving some money on the table. And the other thing we, I would love to see the networks do is do a release uh, worldwide at the same date. So if the yeah. show um, you know airs at 8 o'clock Eastern time, then um, maybe that call that like the um, ground zero. And then let it just air at the next appropriate 8 o'clock. So you know, on in Europe, it would be the next day, and uh, uh, it w- it would be pretty. Th- that way, you get everybody watching and talking at the same time. Uh, instead, because we have some listeners from um, Australia and New Zealand, and they'll tell us, "Yeah, you guys are lucky. You're talking about stuff going on 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 Game of Thrones, and you know we're still you know a season behind you." Right. Yeah, it's really really irritating. Well, let's get to some of the updates on uh, on your home theater setup, your Mac home theater setup, and and see. Um, I'm kind of curious to know what, if anything, has changed. Um, are you still are you still sticking in iTunes as sort of the primary source yeah. for material? Yes, um, I, I've seen a lot of uh, home theater. Uh, wait a minute, uh, not home theater. Uh, Media Center software. Sorry about that. Right. Uh, Media Center software like Xbox BMC. Um, there's a uh, what was uh, some of the other ones um, out well, there. Plex. I'm. I'm. Move, I've started moving all of my content into Plex just over the last month or so. A lot of people are doing Plex, and, and you know, uh, for me, it still just works. I, I like the integration. I like the be, the ease that I can use it with my iPad, and and I know Plex has an iPad app, and a lot of that stuff exists uh, for for Plex as well. I may have to give it another look, but it, it just because I am so iTunes centric, it just works for me, and and that that's kind of my thing. And and it's yeah. nice being able to say that on your show. A lot of people give me grief when I say that on my well, on my show. Well, no, because I mean that's going to be the one uh, challenge for me with migrating to Plex. Because you're right, the Plex app is really great, and that's half of what kind of sold me on moving my stuff into Plex was that. Um, with the Plex app, although you do have to pay a subscription service, it's not too bad. I think I paid eighty dollars lifetime, or you can pay four bucks a month, or something like that. But they have sort of a web service that you can subscribe to, and then that enables within the app the ability to not just stream your content, but also um, download it for offline viewing. So you can sync content. You can say, "I want this show synced," and "I want that show synced," and it will create a a local copy. So it's sort of like Wi-Fi sync on iTunes. Um, and that's great. The dilemma, though, is is I do buy content on iTunes as well. So I have all my iTunes purchase content. And, of course, that you cannot sync through the Plex app. Um, they do have a what they call like a channel that will integrate in with your iTunes. But, again, there you're only seeing the non-purchased, non-DRM'd sort of content. I think on the desktop, 
Um, they have a home theater interface. I think they have worked out a way where you can play it because I think it runs through QuickTime, right? So QuickTime will actually authorize the content even if it can just see the file. Right. But outside of the Mac, you really can't, on iOS, you can't do that. You can't author, you can't get that iTunes authorization to authorize that content outside of Apple's apps. So it is going to create a little bit of a fragmented um, experience because I'm not going to stop buying stuff on iTunes, I don't think. I, I really enjoy... Um, getting my content that way. I'm not really buying DVDs anymore. And um, if I want HD, that's where I'm going to get it because I don't have a Blu-ray player. So I'm, I'm not interested in investing in, in Blu-ray discs and then you know ripping those. You know, it's funny. A, a lot of people are going to that. And at, some, at one point, Apple was rumored to have their HD Plus, which is supposed to be their high, um, high data rate streaming and was supposed to be higher quality. I, I haven't seen that come out yet. Uh, Netflix has their Super HD, and uh, they've got their 4K streaming coming online here very shortly. But um, um, yeah, if Apple was to get that HD Plus going, there, I think for a lot of people, there'd be no reason to buy uh, Blu-ray discs any longer. So, what's what's your opinion on on that then? With Apple not doing HD Plus, and you have Blu-ray out there, what's your preferred? method for getting your high definition content right now then so mine is still blu-rays and okay. uh what what i and i every blu-ray i buy i i do uh rip and put onto the um the server for convenience but uh, when i watch it the first time depending on the title for instance i, I the other day i was watching a movie called we're the millers mm-hmm. that didn't need to be watched on blu-ray it was just you know it was a funny movie and everything but um then um the movie like the hobbit that one I did watch on the Blu-ray because I wanted the full data rate for the uh, audio and for the video. Uh, I did rip that, and it's on the server. So after I've watched it once for convenience, you know, it, it's available there on on the server if you know we have company over and something like that. But that that's kind of my uh, process for doing this. So some of the tool are you still using all the same tools for that then? Yep, that like hasn't what, changed. Uh, that whole tool chain is still working fine. Do you want to uh, want to go back over that again since it has been a, a little while? And maybe we can talk about I can talk about some of my uh, workflows that I worked out, and you can maybe talk about some of yours. We can have a little back and forth here because uh, I'm assuming you're starting with something like MKV. Yeah, so I have an application called Make MKV. First of all, you're going to need an external Blu-ray drive, and I've got one, uh, an LG external drive. It's about $110. You can't play a Blu-ray disc from it on the Apple. Uh, at least I've not uh, got any software that, that's been able to do that. Right. But what you do is you put that in, um, and then you uh, launch Make MKV, and that will rip the um, the content in in the complete form, so in the high-definition form. Right, in the MKV file format. Can, right. And it's then, like, <laughs> I can never remember the the name of that format. It's like, <laughs> I'm going to mutilate it. It's like Mushka or something like Mushka. <laughs> I, I just say MKV. <laughs> right? <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I don't know how to pronounce it either. It's and the then, Munchkin, Munchkin format. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> And then uh, from there, I'll throw the file at Handbrake, and Handbrake will transcode it down to uh, H.264 uh, MP4 f- uh, format that will be able to be played in uh, iTunes and on your iPad and on your iPhone, uh, depending on uh, this, you know, the uh, size. Right. Now, do you just go with the presets, or have you worked out sort of a custom set of settings for that? I start with the presets, and then what I do is I make the uh, video quality a little bit um, 
uh, higher than what the preset is. So how do you how do you do that? Is that just up, upping the bit rate, or are you, are you tweaking more than one setting? Or I use the bit rate, and I use an average bit rate. Depending on the type of movie, it'll be anywhere from thirty five um, uh, or three point five megabits up to ten megabits per second, depending on the type of movie I have. Yeah. Hey. Um, do you have you, did you hear there was a um vector do you know the podcast vector it's done by imore and um i think it's an imore podcast might be a five by five <laughs> planking on it right now um but renee ritchie did an interview with uh don melton who was the guy at apple who was in charge of basically the itunes media stuff and they did like this, I think it was about three hours, this episode, mm-hmm. three hour episode on transcoding. My goodness. <laughs> and I thought it was going to be boring as all heck, but I was like just fascinated because they got into the nitty gritty and Don actually uses the command line interface for um, Handbrake and has developed a a system with all of the settings that you would need uh, to basically, he, he says basically it matches what Apple delivers with their, um, their system. So if you were buying an HD rip from Apple, it's designed to uh, sort of be optimized for, for that level of quality. Um, and I found it very interesting. I played around with it in my workflow um, but I'm just doing DVDs, so really it did not seem to make much of a difference compared to the rips that I was doing. I'm using um, IVI Pro from mm-hmm. South Pole Software, and that's mainly because it just does everything for me in one step, including going out and getting all the metadata, adding in the subtitles, um, doing the ripping and conversion. It's like this one-stop shop. Um and I think if I was, I don't know how well it does with, um, or if I don't even know if it will do Blu-rays. I think it'll take an MKV as an as an input source. But then I'm sort of back to two steps. And if I was doing that, I think I'd probably go the the handbrake route. Um, but the way this is, it, it does fine. And so I was playing around with these command line scripts. But it was just fascinating to hear him talk about sort of variable versus constant bitrate because they're sort of the you know the the camps that say, well, you should be doing one or the other. Um, and he uses some, uh, basically a variable bit, bit rate, but it's sort of tweaked with like a target bit rate to hit. And mm-hmm. I guess that sort of optimizes it. So is that sort of what you're doing too, is sort of saying like, here's the target bit rate that I want you to go for. And it sort of adjusts around that or. That's exactly right. And it won't be, um, a constant bit rate. It'll kind of be an average bit rate because some right. scenes will need more and some scenes will need, uh, less, um, so if you've got like a static scene that can be compressed very nicely. So yeah, it gives you the average bit rate. Yeah. So if you, if you want to get deep into, uh, into transcoding philosophy vector episode 22, I highly, highly recommend you go out and listen to it. Or, or you can use the IVI pro one step. Method. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love, I, have you ever tried IVI pro? No, I actually, I was going to take a look at it. Uh, the only thing I don't know is if it will work with Blu-rays. Yeah, I don't, I, I, that again, I don't know. I think it was pretty much optimized for, for DVD, but right. I, I won't. So I, I may still do the two step, but, um, because see that it'll at least save a step because what I do after I um, transcode it, then I throw it at an application called Meta Z, 
and that goes out on the internet and pulls up all the uh, metadata and then you're able to um, uh, write that in and that way when you go into your uh, Apple TV you've got the album art and the director producer actors and all that stuff so it, it makes it look very professional and people come over and they watch movies here and they're like, wow, that looks really cool. What, how did you do that? I, I, I right. want that. You know? <laughs> yeah, it gets all that content in there and that's really what you want. No, so now I have to ask you about that too. So um, you're using MetaZ, which I think is the replacement for MetaX, which is what we used to use sort of back in the day, right? Right, yes. And it uses like atomic parsley under the hood, like for those people who care about this stuff. Um but have you tried any of the others? Because I know there's some other tools out there, and there's two that crop up. Well, one that only crops up because I use it and like it a lot. Um, Identify 2 is the one that I use. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the most more recent one that I hear people talk about a lot and really recommend, especially in the Plex community, and maybe that's where, just because I've been dealing with this Plex stuff recently, um, there's an app called iFlix, which I think is also a transcoder if you want it to be. Um, but it's supposed to be able to sweep through your iTunes library if you haven't sort of added in all that metadata on your own content. And it'll sort of clean it all up for you, from what I understand. It's a little on the pricier side. I think it's $25 US um, in the Mac App Store. But have you tried either of those? I mean, why? I'm just curious why. Yeah, I tried, I tried iFlix, and I did not have good success with it. Now, granted, that was a little while ago. It may have uh, changed. but uh, Yeah, I, I heard I, version 2 maybe improved some things. I don't know. Because yeah, MetaZ just works really nice. And then the thing is, if it can't go find it, it's just very easy to type it in. If you like, There have been times where it hasn't found the movie. And I went to IMDb and got the information and just typed it in. It's a, Because it, um, there's, there are fields that don't show up in iTunes that Apple TV will see. And that right. was a problem. Because I, I say, oh, I'll just go into iTunes and just type in the metadata. But there was a lot of stuff like where, where do you put the director and the producer and that kind of information, right. uh, or or the genre, or you know what it's rated, and so uh, or even whether was, it's HD or SD. Yes, or, yes. Met, and MetaZ was uh, took care of that, and so you know what, it works for me. So I, I I just didn't mess with it. I guess. Yeah, yeah, and it doesn't have to do the thing anymore. Do you remember uh, when we you would use MetaX and like I think in the early days it sort of had to re wrapper everything or retranscode everything and it yeah. took like forever. It doesn't yeah. do that anymore, right? It, it does take. Uh, I <laughs> think it does still because it does take a while to get it done. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's one of the other things that I sort of liked about IVI is it sort of just happens in the process. It grabs all that metadata I think beforehand and it just does that. That's sort of one step thing. But I mean, Handbrake seems to be the tool as far as transcoding goes that most people uh, fall back on and, and really recommend. Yeah, it's a fantastic product. And, uh, you know, it's free. That's the amazing thing. Yeah. Yeah. So has anything changed um, as far as your hardware goes or your, your server? Are you still using a Mac Mini? Still using a Mac Mini, actually using the same Mac Mini. Um, I upgraded it to Mavericks and, uh, using the Apple TV, I have uh, two Apple TV twos and one Apple TV three and, um, everything's hardwired. That works the best. Um, you can use wireless. Um, but, uh, in this house with how much data we got flowing around, it just works better <laughs> to, 
to, to use a wired network. Yeah, you'll really get bottlenecked if you if you start doing lots of streams and things yeah. like that over over Wi-Fi. I guess if you're yeah. only doing one HD stream you're at a time, you're probably okay, or even maybe two. But I would think getting beyond that, you're going to really yeah start to exactly. Feel it. And you know, I'm waiting for Apple to do something. I I want the Apple TV four. I I don't even know what I want in it. I just want something <laughs> new. It's weird. You just Everything works fine, but I just want something. Um, I, I, you know, I don't know what would be a good idea to put in an Apple TV for. Um, really, for me, it, it just comes down to apps. I, I think the platform maybe uh, with a little more storage, so you can't have more apps. Uh, maybe a little more performance for the gaming aspect that you're talking about. But other than that, the right. Apple TV platform already does everything I need it to do. How about a better built-in remote? A, a built-in or remote, bun- bundled, ro- bundled better, remote, okay, better yeah. bundled remote. That well, silver thing is is cute and very clean, but let's be honest, most people throw it away or lose it and don't care because it's. Yeah, I'm I'm using a um, a Rumi remote control. It's um tablet based, uh, or you can use it on an iPhone as well. I have a video up on my website if you um if you're interested in looking at it. Huh. But I've I've gone and bought a dedicated uh, Apple iPad, a Mac, um, sorry, iPod an Touch. iPad Mini. Oh, uh, to, to be the remote. And the thing is, the reason I went with that is when it was on one of our phones, if the phone wasn't around, or if it was my daughter's phone, and I had to put a number in, you know, it just. Um, it was easier to have a dedicated remote in the room. And so the other thing that we found that works out nice with that is because you have got an iPad always within arm's reach, uh, you can go do your IMDB searches, you could check Twitter, whatever. It it ends up becoming a really good uh, device. Uh, sometimes my wife will sit there and she'll check news while we're watching something. And uh, that has worked out really nicely for us. Huh, so uh so you're using a different app than Apple's remote app? Yes, the um Rumi remote uh will use it it'll send IR commands to it. The, the problem is Apple has locked down its uh, network control of it, mm-hmm. so they can't control it network-wise. But the nice thing about this remote is it'll control my direct TV box, my receiver, my television, all uh if they're network enabled it'll control them through the network so there are there is no ir commands it's just instantaneous and it's and it's two-way so it'll tell you on the remote uh the volume level it'll tell you what show you're watching on the remote it's it's pretty cool wait so so with uh with apple's apps and the apple tv is it use you use like an ir adapter or with apple's apps you it will control it uh through the network through wi-fi okay but with the roomy remote you have to add a um there's like an ir blaster that you put in your room and it'll uh, control the apple tv through ir commands it's a little hokey but that's the only way you can control the apple tv that way but it, it you know it, it wait is, i'm i'm still confused because the apple tv doesn't have ir on it right yes it does oh it does yeah that remote that silver remote oh that's on. right that's right it's ir so so then you do have to have some sort of on your iPad you ha- the Rumi remote has like a case or an IR dongle or No no the what happens is there's a device it's a global cache device and that is connected to your network okay. uh, and mine is connected via Wi-Fi actually and uh, what I have attached to that is is like blaster and I've got that in the back corner of the room where the wall kind of comes together so it's kind of in the wall nobody even sees it and the 
test I use is my wife did notice it was there, so I'm good. <laughs> and it just blasts out an IR command into the into the room. So the, the so that little thing is wired. But what is the IR thing wired into? Into your home network? Yes. Oh, uh, okay. Oh, it's so it's wi- it's wireless, right? And is it battery powered? Or does it have to? No, get... it, it's I got it plugged into the wall. Okay. So it's a pretty nice system, and um, what ends up happening is the television um, is one model year before I could actually uh, wake it up through um, uh, Ethernet control. Um, so the next model year, you would able you would be able to control it through Ethernet. But all all the remote has to do is turn the TV on because I don't switch inputs. All the input switching is done through the uh, receiver, and so the IR command sends um, the 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 global cache sends a command to television turn on and it turns on my receiver, sets it to the right input and then turns on the direct TV box. And then if I want to watch the Apple TV, it turns off the uh, direct TV box, wakes up the Apple TV and then uh, switches the inputs on the receiver. Right. And so are you still then using for storage on your, um, your Mac mini server? Well, actually, before I get into that, I have a question. So were there any, Additional benefits of of moving the Mac Mini server server to Mavericks, or was that just you know sort of no, updating? No, just because I, I try and keep uh, everything uh, as up to date as possible. Uh, this way, if I'm trying to remote into it from another computer, not that it would matter. I, I know you can remote into uh, right. Snow Leopard, but I, I just like keeping everything up to date. Yeah, sure. I just didn't. Yeah, there's nothing. I was just trying to think if there's anything new with the AirPlay or anything like that. But I don't think in this application any of that stuff really matters too much. No, it doesn't. Yeah. So then the other question is on the Mac Mini server, are you still um, using kind of the same storage system? I think last time we talked, you were using some two terabyte attached drives. Yeah, exactly. And what I may do is swap those out because this one is the type that has like the power dongle and everything. But I was at Costco the other day and they have uh, like a three terabyte drive external that's just powered over the bus. And it would just make the uh, the whole thing look a little bit cleaner. So, I'd, and then it would free up some power plugs. So, I, I may go swap those out eventually because I've had these things running uh, for about two years now. And uh, now they do spin down when you're not watching a movie, so it's not continuous. But I'm expecting it could be any day they're you know they'll just die. Right. So in your case, you just got the external drive. You're running iTunes. All your media contents inside iTunes. And so it's really just your iTunes library that's sitting on this, or media, I guess I should say, your media folder that's sitting on the external Th- That's drive. correct, yeah. Yeah, and that's, and that's in essence what I'm doing on just my main Mac, and I just upgraded <laughs> because I started ripping all my DVDs, and I'm actually, I told you I was you know, putting this stuff into Plex. I'm also having it put it into my iTunes library just so I have it you know, kind of both places for a while. I'll see where I land. I'm going to have to, you know, play around with both and see where I land just in terms of where I'm watching more content. Um, but I'm, I just picked up a two terabyte Western Digital um, My Passport you mm-hmm. know, drive for Mac. So it was like, you know, a hundred bucks and two terabytes, and it's bus powered. And I like to have it that way because um, if I have my iTunes library externally, I want to be able to take it with me. Well, if and I that's need what's to. cool. Exactly. If you go on vacation somewhere. You can take that with you, and then if you connect it to your laptop, you just you know it won't be your library, but you can navigate over there and just watch whatever movies are there. Well, and you, I mean, you could because you can set up if you hold down the option key when you launch oh, right, uh, right. iTunes, you can create a whole new. You know, you could have a, a separate library and you just switch back and forth. Yeah, that's very true. 
Uh, oh, one thing I didn't mention uh, that did come with Mavericks, which is kind of cool with your Apple TV, is that, and you probably already talked about this, is using the Apple TV as another desktop. Yeah, we've talked about it a little bit. Yeah, but. yeah so what um, what you could do is with your laptop, you can fire off a movie and say, okay, go play that full screen on the Apple TV. And then you can sit there with your laptop and, you know, if you're checking email or, or whatever, uh, you still be able to use your computer to do what whatever it is that you want. But the nice thing is if somebody comes into your house and they have a, a Mac product, they can, you know, a, a MacBook or a MacBook Air or something like that, they can just put that up on your screen just simply by selecting that as a desktop. That's very cool. That's very cool. Um so I guess the last thing to talk about is a little bit about, I don't know how much you followed what's going on at CES and and things like that, but it seems to me, I mean, you were kind of, we, I think we did a whole show even on it on home automation kind of stuff. And yeah, there seems yeah. to be more and more connected, you know, things that we can add into our home network. So I'm curious if you've added any of these new connected, you know, things like lighting systems, like are you do you have any of the the network connected lights or yeah, home automation and, and stuff. I do. And I've we're reviewing a new product. It's uh, from revolve. It's a home automation hub and that's R E V O L V. Um, and what they do was just pretty cool is they unite a bunch of different home automation protocols. So there's a, like terms like Z wave, Zigbee, Insteon, right. and, uh, the nest, uh, there's like the Philips, uh, view, they're all they all have their own separate apps, but what this little device does it's about the size of a Mac mini. It has I think seven antennas on there, and it can communicate with seven different types of protocols and Now you can have a nest thermostat and a z wave uh, door lock and an Insteon light control and instead of having three separate apps, you just have this one app and it works pretty cool, so I think really there's a lot. Uh, in the future for home automation. And I think people are going to be pretty excited about what they're going to be able to do. Yeah. I was kind of curious if if you had maybe, you know, tied in something like a Belkin Wemo into the home theater system so that, you know, when you walk into the room and you hit play on the, on the Apple TV media server, you know, it dims the lights in the room and, <laughs> yeah, I, I have that, uh, not with a Wemo, but I have that with my home automation system. It's um, I use something from Perceptive, Perceptive Automation. It's the Indigo software, and it controls uh, Insteon and Z-Wave products. Mm-hmm. So I've uh, on my remote control, I can make it, uh, when, I, when I hit play, it goes into movie mode. Mm-hmm. As it is now, I don't have it when it hits play. There's a separate button there that says movie mode. And what that'll do is I have a floor standing lamp in that room. It turns that off. And then I've got some lights in the ceiling that go down to like 25% because I want a little bit of light in there because I want it to be pitch dark. And it just with a simple hit of a button, it does that for me. And then when the movie's over, I hit it again and it turns it back on the other way. So it's uh, really cool when you integrate home automation and uh, movies. Um, Likewise, when you hit pause, you can make it so the lights come up so that it's not dark in there and all kinds of really neat stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I know George Starcher, who is on the program occasionally. He has some of the Philips Hue system and stuff like that. He's been playing around with different kinds of scripting, you know, because you can, once it's all over there on the Mac, right? Once you have the control kind of in the Mac system, then you can do all kinds of interesting things with automator actions and Apple scripts. And and uh, I think he was also using some if this, then that kind of stuff through yeah, the web. Yeah, in fact, 
I have this one script that was written in uh, Apple Script that gets launched by my um, home automation software. Uh, it's pretty cool because it says just go execute the script. And what it does is it'll go turn every single, this is like in a security mode, it'll turn all the lights on in the house. And then what the script does is it goes and connects to iTunes, it selects an alert uh, audio that I have in my iTunes library, connects to all the speakers in the house, sets them to full blast and just blasts this alert throughout the house. And um, that was something that you couldn't do without having the automation script to talk to the um, uh, home automation package. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. The only, the only problem is when I hit um, shuffle, got to make sure that the script isn't, <laughs> that that song isn't in there. <laughs> yeah that would be that would not be not be fun um you know ibeacon is another thing that you know when you start talking automation i'm thinking is going to be a potentially really interesting part of a home theater system especially if they add that support on the apple tv and i don't think there would be any reason why they couldn't because i ibeacon i think uses the low energy bluetooth i don't know about the i guess i need to look at the specs of the apple tv3 but i'm assuming it has the bluetooth le in there and in which case if it does it can be an iBeacon or receive iBeacon signals uh, the same way that your iphone could so i would imagine if you know then apple could do the sort of thing where you walk into the room and you have certain actions get triggered um, just based on the presence of you know the iBeacon being triggered yeah, and um, right now what I do is I do have sensors in the house, and I have those kind of things happen. For instance, after 10 o'clock, if somebody were to walk in the hallway, the hall lights come on at like 20%. But I have IR sensors doing that. With iBeacon, you can, um, I think you can get a little bit more precise than well, yeah, having you, somebody walking down the hallway. Yeah, and you could even start to do it on a person-by-person basis. So if you like it a little brighter, right, it could recognize, well, that's that's aura because that's his phone but don't that don't that's the see that's the only issue though is you have to have your phone with you so in the middle of the night when you go to the bathroom <laughs> you're not carrying your phone with you and so, <laughs> that would be true but, but i i think it, it would work a little bit better for like when you come home from work and it'll turn the air conditioner on or you know whatever it is that kind of stuff uh, but i do believe home automation is an area where apple uh can get in and really do a lot because um, there's a whole bunch of different protocols out there now. And uh, I told you about this Revolve product. But I think Apple, with the computers, the iPads and everything, it's just a natural fit. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think about voice commands at some point? You know, you know some Siri I'm, integration or I, not? I think that would be great because I'm using Siri way more now than I ever have. It's one of those things that you just, once you start getting used to it, and knowing how to talk to it, it just becomes really simple. I, I've even said to it, what's the temperature outside? And it gets pretty close, you know, because you can compare it to your uh, thermometer in your car. But it, it kind of figures out where you're at and it goes and gets a temperature. But, um, you know, it's depending on wherever the nearest uh, temperature, um, you know, station is. But that's kind of a cool thing. And um, best thing is like, what was the score of, you know, the LA Kings game? It'll just tell you that. And when you're driving, that's a pretty cool thing. Yeah. All the sports scores and stuff like that. I'm, I'm not that into sports. I don't use that feature all that, that often, but you know, I'll be out somewhere and someone will be like trying to get to a TV. It's like, what, what game do you want to know about? And I just hold the, my phone up to my face and ask Siri and boom, 
can get them an well, answer. It's kind of cool. I, I use it for directions all the time. It's like, find me the nearest Starbucks or whatever. And it works pretty well. It's gotten much better. And uh, that's one of the things where, do you remember they were having all those ads with Samuel L. Jackson and whoever else? Right. Um, they've kind of not done a lot with it lately. And I think they've made a you know, big improvements with it. So that they should probably go back to doing an app. That. <laughs> they, yeah, they need to do more app integration. I mean, they still need to keep pushing that forward yeah. where we can get more data from third-party apps. But I think once they gave it Siri the ability to actually search the web for you, um, even though it's Bing search, and I, you know, it doesn't seem to matter to me, but it's nice to actually be able to get data from Wolf Farm Alpha and actually have Siri read it back to you rather than just show it on the screen, those sorts of things. So the more they can do that and the more they can make it interactive and I don't have to look at my screen, I think the better and better it's going to get. Well, yeah, that and uh, I think if they were to make Siri available on a laptop itself, that would be kind of cool too. Yeah, I think that's I think that's coming, and you know, when we're going to see more of the in-car integrations, I think starting this year, kind of started last year, but I think Apple's expanding that program too. Well, so. you know, and, and I have a Ford, and it has the MySync, and mm-hmm. I would love it if it would just say, you know what, uh, you've got a iPhone connected, so we'll just let you do everything with Siri, and then if Siri would have an interface into the car to be able to set the temperature and all that kind of stuff, that would be kind of cool. Well, that's what the I mean, that is kind of the promise of the series. I the series eyes free stuff right it's just we haven't seen that hitting vehicles i think 2014 models are the or first models are really going to start integrating it so yeah yeah well cool uh you want to let folks know what's happening over on your podcast these days uh, sure uh well it's pretty much what we've been doing all along uh it's available at htguys.com and we talk about home theater high definition tv we've added home automation and you know sometimes we'll go off on on tangentially related uh, topics and the uh, listeners don't seem to mind that much but um uh, yeah a lot of times we'll get an email like the nest thermostat we've did um we did a feature on a bunch of uh, wireless thermostats and you're thinking that's not home theater but you know it's part of home automation right and so a lot of times the technology is cool we just want to talk about it and, <laughs> and so we would do, we do do that so you have you i'm assuming you have a nest i just got a nest protect no, actually, I don't have a Nest. I, I have a Indigo Insteon uh, thermostat that's part of my because I'm Insteon based here in the house. But uh. the software I have will integrate with a Nest, and I'm wondering, okay, do I want to go and uh, use the Nest because it's got some really cool web based features, you know, telling you about your energy usage and that kind of stuff. So I, I may actually go do that anyway. Well, <laughs> I'm kind of second guessing it now with the the whole Google ac- acquisition that happened. Oh today. yeah, that's true. That just happened today. Huh? <laughs> I'm ready for Google to be our robot overlords. More <laughs> and more, it feels like they're feeling like Skynet. I'm so. telling you, it's going to be instead of when Skynet became self aware, it's going to be when Google. Well, they ha- apparently too, they have all these robotics companies they've bought over the last couple of years that are doing a lot of DARPA stuff and winning a lot of awards. Which is, I mean, it's cool and it's amazing technology, but you start getting that all in one environment, and you you do start to go. Google knows way too much about me already, and they're building military grade robots. So yeah, no kidding. <laughs> All right. Well, all right. Um, so people can find you at htguys.com. Uh, I'm assuming on Twitter and all those other places. Yeah, on Twitter, I'm at HDTV Podcast. And uh, you can search for HDTV Podcast on Facebook as well. Well, cool. Thanks. It was great catching up with you. 
Great. My pleasure. Thanks a lot. So there you go. Ardurian from H- the HDTV podcast, a good friend of the MacCast, and always fun to talk to and find out what's going on with uh, home theater. And he's getting more and more into the home automation stuff. We probably should have him back to talk a little bit more about that. Maybe we can also get George Starcher on. Um, he's another guy who's really into the whole home automation and a lot of the devices that are coming out. That was another big thing at CES this year was all the sort of connected devices. They're calling it the Internet of Things. Uh, we saw coffee makers and crock pots and all kinds of things that Belkin announced they were going to have with their partners hooked up to their Wemo line. So lots of interesting stuff happening in that space. And again, if you're messing around with this stuff, if you're doing some home automation stuff, you're playing around with some of these new products, we'd love to hear from you, get your thoughts and opinions, find out what you're doing. If you've got your own Mac home theater set up and you're doing maybe things a little bit different or you found something that works or doesn't work or found some great software, be sure to let us know about that and and uh, we'll try and cover this stuff more on future episodes of the MacCast. But that's going to do it for now. Before I leave you, I do want to take a quick moment and thank all of my show sponsors. Smile, makers of Text Expander, PDF Pen, Disc Label, also PDF Pen for iPhone and iPad. Also check out PDF Pen Scan Plus, their newest product for doing scanning and OCR on your iOS devices. And also Text Expander Touch. You can get more information and details on all of the Smile applications over at smilesoftware.com. And Gazelle. Gazelle is the fast and simple way to sell your used gadgets online. You can find out what your iPhone, iPad, or other Apple products are worth simply by going to gazelle.com. And a big thank you to all of my sponsors for their support of the MacCast. A big thank you to you for your support. Please keep your emails and your audio comments coming. I absolutely love hearing from you. If you have a comment, a question, something you'd like to hear covered on a future episode, or if you just have an opinion, something you want to chime in, on, you can shoot an email or an audio comment to maccast at gmail.com. You can also call in on the listener hotline. That's at 281-622-4269, 281-MAC-IM9. You can also leave voicemail on Skype, and my Skype address is the MacCast. And if you'd like to check out the show notes, links to anything I've talked about on this or any other episode of the MacCast, you'll find those on the website. That's at maccast.com. While you're there, be sure to check out the forum at forum.com maccast.com and you'll also find me on twitter twitter.com slash maccast check out the maccast facebook page at facebook.com slash the maccast and also uh the maccast google plus community just search for maccast on google plus and you'll find us there but that'll do it for now until next time i will talk to you all again real soon